Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, we're back today with one of my favorite guests and a, a, a astute observer of the world scene, Dr. Stephen Bryan. Uh, as you may recollect, he's a senior uh, fellow for the Center for Security Policy and the Yorktown Institute. And I think no one's following the, the details and the ins and outs of what's going on with Ukraine, Russia, and the prospects for a negotiated outcome or, or, or whatever the outcome's likely to be in that terrible, terrible war. Um, Stephen has over 50 years national security experience, including many stints at the Pentagon, where he was known as the uh, Yoda of the arms trade. Um, so, Stephen, you've you've uh, been covering this. You you recently predicted that I think just last week that uh, Zelensky may be on the uh, on the ropes, and consequently, so may so may be Biden if Ukraine doesn't uh, doesn't pull out of this. Right, I, I think that's it. It's it's a very closely fought situation, but you know he has to deliver on the so-called offensive, which has been promised, in which the U.S. provided lots of weapons. And if he can't deliver, or if they fail, then I think we're at a, a tipping point as far as Ukraine's future is concerned. Certainly, Zelensky's future. So that's our. I think the, the, he'll try. Uh, I'm not convinced he'll be successful. Well, the, well the, you, you, there's an, there's talk of an a Ukrainian offensive, but do they have the weapons and and supplies to pull this off? I mean, isn't isn't the cupboard pretty bare? They have a lot of weapons. I think the U.S. has really pumped in an awful lot of stuff. So have the Europeans, but I think the real issue is manpower. I, I don't think it's so much weapons. I mean, at some point you have to have operators and fighters. And the more losses they sustain, uh, they're supposedly on their third army now, the first two having been decimated, wiped out, eliminated. So they're really almost out of elite forces, and uh, and they're having trouble recruiting. So when gonna... you say they're on their third army, what what exactly does that well, mean? Well, the general view is that the, the first army was destroyed in the initial fighting. They replaced most of those troops. The second army has been attrited and it's just about gone. And so they've raised up a new a new force of young young men, some not so young, who are being sent aren't to the, the Aren't front. they dragooning, you know, the kids hanging out yeah, in front in of some McDonald's? Cases, aren't they no dragging doubt. them in? Yeah, but so the Russians did that too. So it's not, it's not a one-sided dragoon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that, that they're having trouble because people are running out of Ukraine. They don't want to serve. How many people have left? How many people do you think have left Ukraine? About three million. Well, that's 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 a significant. So, is Zelensky really in charge there? I mean, or is he just merely a puppet for uh, Victoria Newland and uh, Tony Blinken? Well, I, he certainly takes orders from them, um, but I don't think he's a puppet. I think he's in control at the moment of the Ukrainian government and the military. But, uh, you know, there's a little bit of unhappiness with him because he committed forces to Bakhmut, which is a cauldron. It's a very difficult place to fight in. And they've been sustaining a lot of losses there. They're hanging on, 
but they're losing ground every day. So I think they'll soon be out of there. But this is Zelensky's folly. I mean, he didn't need to do that. It wasn't necessary. And in and, and, and the, the folly to, to, to stand and fight in Bakhmut. Yeah, I mean, it's just a salient that's stuck in, you know, nose is stuck into the heart of Donetsk. And it's it's not a great place to try and defend. It's, it's, it's an urban setting, not an open field. Uh, and, and, and they've done very well given, and, and held out for a very long time, given the circumstances. I, I read a report this morning that they've already been able to cycle in troops about six to seven times during this conflict in Bakhmut. So they've been able to move people in and out, even though it's been difficult to do it. But the Russians have been working to close off the roads to prevent them from doing that so that they can bring an end to this. What um, about that? What about that outburst from uh, the head of the Wagner group? <laughs> Prigozhin? Well, yeah. he, 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 let's put it in context. The Ukrainians in the last few days, and we're talking about the week of uh, the May 10th, 11th, uh, have launched a kind of counteroffensive to try and open up the, the roadways that lead to Bakhmut, obviously for military necessity. They have to do that. Um, and what happened was that the initial contact line was held by uh, some Russian, very untrained Russian forces, and they just fell back because they knew behind them were very good defenses with, with the Wagner group. So uh, to some extent, the Ukrainians had a, a modest temporary victory, but Prigozhin made it sound like the end of the world and raised holy hell about the Russian army and about the Russian leadership. And now he's going as far as to, to call Putin names. Putin's his main supporter. So, you know, I don't know. I think he has a screw loose. I think that he's lost he's lost his ability to be rational. Well, yeah, Putin's been his main, main, main as you point, main supporter. And, and he's really, you know, he's really stuck a stuck something right into Putin. You can't believe he's going to last long. That's what I think. I mean, I, a lot of people think that too, but I don't think the Russians will make any changes in the Wagner group until after Bakhmut. That's my guess. You know, it's, it's risky to for them to shake up leadership or make any changes that will cause the people to lose their, their coherence. Uh, they want to keep it as tight as they can until after Bakhmut. So the, the you know there's so many ways to go here, but you know I've I've you know I'm not a, this is not my area of expertise, but it struck me that the United States was particularly evocative leading up to this, or provo provocative uh, with regards to Russia and NATO and forcing the issue of Ukraine and NATO, and now I think we're looking at Sweden and NATO and. Victoria Newland and 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 that crew seem to be pushing, pushing, pushing to push the NATO's borders right up to you know right up to the edge of Russia, old Russia, and and closer and closer to Moscow. Uh, have, have they learned anything from the last year and a half about that? Because there, there are many people, including me, that think, well, Ru yeah, Russia's bad. You know, Putin's a bad guy. He shouldn't have done all this. But on the other hand, if you put yourself in their position, I think that's what most people would do. Were, were their borders being pressed like that? Yeah, I, I think there's an argument from both sides. Uh, I don't think it's one-sided by any means. But uh, you know, trying to squeeze the Russians—I don't know the point of it. 
What is the point? What are we trying to achieve? Well, well, well that's what we don't. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I'm. I'm, I'm it doesn't have a point. Uh, <laughs> you know, if we want to break up Russia, which I think Newland wants to do, and others, it's a foolish, a fool's journey. It, it won't work. You know, Russia is not going to break up. It's a big, powerful country uh, and a nuclear power. So why do you want to tempt the, the, the furies with that kind of nonsense? It, it doesn't make any sense. It's not in our national interest, the United States national interest, to do this. It's not in the European interest, although you never know it listening to them. But it's not really in their interest. Because having a war in Europe in this day and age is, it would be a horrible tragedy. It would destroy Europe. So why why does anyone want to do that? That makes no sense. Well, it's. Uh, I'm sorry to get on my platform here. No, but, I want you on the platform because this, I, this I, is I, this I, is the I, kind of thing that you, you you wonder where are the rational people. Well, people, I want you on this platform because people need to hear this. That we have no strategy that that's discernible. That, that, well, we do have a strategy. I don't agree. We have a strategy, but unfortunately, the strategy is to put a a pincer onto the Russians and squeeze them. And and you can only squeeze so much and, and then bad things happen. So I, I don't see the point of it. And, and I don't see how it serves European interests. Europe was quite peaceful. So why, why? I mean, what we should have done is, is negotiated with the Russians. They asked for negotiations before they invaded. They pleaded for negotiations. Didn't they send a couple of letters, one to the U.S. and one to NATO? That's right. In, in, before they went in, saying, well, "Look, let's sit down and talk because we need to, we need to, we need to resolve this NATO issue. And if we can do that, uh, we might, uh, we might feel a whole lot better and not need to go into Ukraine." Yeah, there were two letters. One, one was to Biden, and the other one was to the Stoltenberg, the head of NATO. Uh, and the Russians had. Two issues. One was Ukraine, obviously, because they felt that we were arming up Ukraine and that the Ukrainians were pressuring the Russian-speaking portions of the country and, and about to invade and might cross into Russia too. And, and the Russians were very alarmed about that. that. So that was their view. Whether they're correct about that's not important. What's important is that was their view. And that's what they, they were talking about. They were also talking about the problem of nuclear weapons in Europe. Uh, now, the Russians sometimes are as guilty as anybody about that. But the Russians were pointing out that the U.S. had set up these these uh, missile defenses in uh, Romania and one in the works in Poland that would be able to launch cruise missiles armed with nuclear warheads. And they were concerned about it. I, I would, too, if it was my problem. So they asked them to talk about that. And they were simply turned down by NATO and by, well, by Biden wouldn't discuss anything with them. It's after that that the that the invasion started. The you know it seems like the delusion that the administration has is that they're still acting like the United States is sort of the omnipotent uh, world hegemon and the, all the other countries are going to have to fall in line as we bring about a world order that's uh, Align with what we think the world order ought to be, ought to be, right? And it looks like the rest of the world's watching us here, and they've watched us, you know, cut and run in Afghanistan. Iraq turns out to be a, have been a catastrophe. It looks like a lot of our foreign adventures 
or have been, been ending up made a mess not, of Middle Eastern policy and the Middle Eastern policy. So in the in that context, I've got three questions. One's how how is Europe feeling now? How's NATO feeling now? Or are they are they beginning to lose confidence that we ought to be pursuing this? And are they going to put pressure on us uh, to to try to wrap this thing up? Um, second is have the sanctions worked at all in terms of crippling Russia? And I guess the third thing is what do you see with the uh, fact that we've pushed Russia into China's arms or China has, has stepped into this and and we really don't seem to have any other countries in the world that are much uh, much aligned with their objectives, except maybe Poland. Yeah, um, well, back, working backwards, forwards, uh, you know, we certainly pushed the Russians into the arms of China. And we put ourselves in a very bad position because now, now we have two large powers, two nuclear powers, one becoming increasingly prominent and aggressive and the other one strong. And, and we put ourselves between them, why? We didn't need to do that. Uh, it wasn't necessary to provoke the Russians. We could have found some some way to ameliorate that problem. Uh, and so now we've got two alliances against us. So that, that's kind of crazy. It's not good geopolitics. It's very bad, very senseless. Um, so I think that's, that's a part of the answer. As far as the Europeans are concerned, they speak with, as we say, pork tongue. <laughs> Sometimes they say, well, we're fighting for Ukraine, but they're also saying we don't want to be in a war. So, right. you know, it's both. And, and, and the other thing that was interesting is the, the Stoltenberg, the head of NATO, made a big speech the other day and was saying how we're going to bring Ukraine into NATO. And the, head of, the deputy head of the EU said, we don't agree with that. That's not, that's not, nobody in Europe expects or wishes for uh, Ukraine to be in NATO. Now, that's the first time I ever heard that from a European uh, official. So it, it, there, there is pushback. And it's the first time I've actually seen pushback against Stoltenberg and these kinds of uh, belligerent statements, which I think are foolish. Once again, because it provokes the Russians for absolutely no reason. The Russians have said a red line is no NATO in Ukraine. That's their, their line. Uh, that doesn't mean there can't be security guarantees for Ukraine, but that's a different matter. And and uh, I think it's very foolish of Stoltenberg to do this, but he's been he's been provoking for a long time. And, and and of course that's what Washington wants him to do, but that's not the way to go. It's wrong. Did the, I answer uh, all the questions or have I missed one? No, you think you missed one. The big one is how how has this impacted Putin's Russia? Have huh. the sanctions had any effect? I mean, my view is um, not nearly as much, and in some ways, it may have strengthened Russia's hand. But anyway, you well, know, I, think, uh, I do. Scholars, uh, I, I'm not an economist. No, thank God. Um, yeah, that is really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, That's a good thing. <laughs> some things I avoided in my life. One was to be a brain surgeon, and the other was to be an economist. Um, and I think in both cases, people are very lucky. Uh, but as far as uh, Russia is concerned, yeah, it's hurt them. There's no doubt. They, I think the biggest yeah. loss, though, at the end of the day is, is our loss, because Western industry is pulled out of Russia, almost all of it. And, and that's a tragedy because 
the importance is to have Russia integrated into the West in a positive way. And one of the ways you do that is economically. So if, if you know, American companies are in Russia and Russian companies are in America, that's a good thing. Uh, but that's over now. So the Russians are now turning to the Chinese. They're, they're setting up a, a counter currency to the dollar. Well, no, that won't happen. Well, it may happen, but it won't work. But I mean, the bottom line is that they, they're alienated. They've shifted their focus. In the beginning, if you recall, Putin was very focused on, on relations with the West. His, that was his whole bit. You know, I'm no more Soviet stuff. We're going to we're going to have positive, really good relations, economic, political, uh, everything with the West. That, that's gone. And by the way, while we're talking about it, but I think Putin's secure, by the way, for the moment. So I, I think he's more secure than Zelensky. Um, but that's just my assessment of things. Um, he, he seems to be able to, to keep public support in Russia, despite a lot of losses of manpower and equipment. And no one has reckoned with the cost of this war, because this is a very expensive war. Uh, the Russians got a break for the first year because they had all this Soviet equipment from the 80s that they used against Ukraine. <laughs> of course, Ukraine also had all this equipment from the 80s. So they were fighting with old stuff, but they, you know, the current government didn't pay for it, so to speak. So they, they didn't, it didn't hit their bottom line. But now they've had to rush into production new tanks and new missiles and all kinds of stuff, uh, train new troops and all this business, which is very, very expensive. And, and at some point that bill has to be paid, you know, or they're going to have terrible inflation, sanctions or no sanctions. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's Eco 101, which I didn't teach and didn't attend the classes. Well, Russia's built up an enormous gold reserves. I mean, they've been doing that for the last 10, 15 years. They're, yeah. I think their gold reserves may be second only to the United States. Yeah, but they have to convert them into fungible yeah. money. So it's well, something. You know, there's all this talk about the world, world dollars, world currency status. I mean, the thing to step back and recognize is that, uh, you know, the dollars of fiat money and it's increasingly losing its value because of what we've done with our our budget deficits and our trade deficits. Uh, and the idea we're gonna create another world currency that's also fiat money, I don't think is gonna be all that attractive. I mean, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to come up with something that's a lot more sound than just the Chinese getting together with the Russians to create uh, to create another form of well, fiat as long money. as China is threatening its neighbors, it's not going to be very really possible for them to be successful with with a currency, an alternative currency. Anyway, China has terrible economic problems right now, big time, and and uh, and many other problems. But but the economic ones are very really serious. Heavy unemployment, uh, construction industry at a standstill. I mean, there's. The factories closing, lack of foreign orders. Uh, why is that? Well, partly the part of the reason for that is people are afraid of China. The industry, American companies are pulling out of China and going to India or someplace else, even Vietnam. But they don't want to be in, in China because it's become too risky. So you well, can't I, I, have currency based on a high risk 
nation won't work. Well, I think it's certainly, I think that's what people, I think that's what people running big companies would like to do. They'd probably like to disengage. On the other hand, you take a look at Volkswagen, um, China's Volkswagen's largest market. So they probably uh, are trapped. And they're trapped. And Starbucks, they're, their 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 market in China is neck and neck with the market here in the United States. It's on track in a couple of years to. But companies like Foxconn, which is a Taiwanese company, it's a Chinese name is Hanhai Precision. They're the ones that build all the Apple stuff in China. They yeah. employ millions of people in China, and they're starting to pull out. They're moving to India. Well, so, it's spending a lot of spending a lot of time in the investment business. Uh, the amount of money that I'd like to put into China is zero. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but again, it's a trust issue. You know, if you think China is peaceful and it's going to continue well, well, developing you, its economy is one thing, but if they're going to be aggressive and, and threaten their neighbors, it's a different story. And I think that's why the currency at the end of the day won't work because. Well, and and, and G is totalitarian paranoia. I mean, it's uh you know, as an investor, one of the things you want to do before you invest is you want to find out what's going on in the country, what's going on in the market and the industry you want to invest in. Well, China uh, has all these due diligence firms operating in the country to help foreign investors uh, decide where and how and when to invest. Well, Xi's having them all shut down. They're getting raids by the, what do they call the black men or the black, black policemen or something like that. And, um, you know, they're shutting down U.S. audit firms in, in China. And he is concerned about uh, information leaking out about uh, the Chinese strategies to American investors and maybe the oh, and he also American doesn't government. Want, uh, Americans and others to know how bad it is in China right now. Yeah. If you, if you have auditing, you find out who's making money, don't you? And where the money's going and all that stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, well... <laughs> Okay, we get a circle in for a landing here. Okay. I didn't. I don't want to take too I didn't, much. I didn't, I didn't plan to talk to you about economics. I, just had I to, plan to talk. About, I'm not an economist. I think the most interesting conversations are the ones that end up someplace we never started or thought we'd go. Uh, but let's circle back for landing though, because you wrote about Kissinger and Kissinger's prediction that he thought the situation was right for negotiations to start by the end of the year. You you wrote a piece on that. Uh, Right. Thoughts? Yeah, well, a couple of thoughts. I mean, first of all, negotiations won't start unless Washington wants them to start, or unless Zelensky and his crowd are gone and, and someone else takes over in Ukraine. But but if things stay the way they are, there's not going to be any negotiations. Um, Biden doesn't want them because it, he wants a victory. He said he's going to bring a victory in Ukraine. That's his mantra. That's what he's his policy whatever victory means. Well, I know what it means. It it's, means the Russians are completely out of Ukraine. Ain't going to happen. So, you know, that's that, that forecloses negotiations. Well, Kissinger thinks that will wear down by next uh, the new year, let's say. And, and maybe Biden will change direction. Uh, I, I, I'm not a, very good at these predictions, but right now it doesn't look that way. Well, but the basis for a settlement, I think the United States would want Russia to give up all the gains they've made in Ukraine and and, and certainly uh, solidify its hold on Crimea. And, and 
or the United States, Russia is not going to give up that. The United States thinks they should. So that's not a starter. And then there are lots of things Ukraine couldn't give up. I don't see the basis for a deal. Well, it's first of all, you have to want one. You know, if you're if you've lost too many men, if too much of your country's been destroyed, at that point you need a deal because you need a deal. Um, and we're not there yet, but Ukraine has taken a terrible beating in this war. How They've many lost. Ukrainians have been killed? Nobody knows. No one knows. Yeah. Well, there's numbers floating around. But what the Pentagon says is Ukraine is, is losing seven uh, military guys to every one Russian. Wow. Well, That's, you know, I'm, 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 I, I, I have no subject matter expertise in this particularly. I haven't been really following international events as much as maybe I should have. But is this war more difficult to figure out because of the propaganda on both sides and the U.S. propaganda and the and the media machine that only wants to report certain things. I mean, is it just me or is this, no, is no, this no. one more it, mystifying than anything we've been in? Well, I don't know, you know, the other conflicts I've been able to follow fairly well, but this one is, is much more difficult because the U.S. seems to be utterly dependent on whatever the Ukrainians tell them, including the CIA. Now, the, the, the CIA has some independent ways of knowing things because it has satellites, it has reconnaissance aircraft and all that. But most of the reporting is coming right from the propaganda ministry in Ukraine. So it, it makes it quite difficult. Anything the Russians say is not reported in the, for the most part, is not reported in the Western press, almost completely neglected. Now, does that mean the Russians are telling the truth? Of course not. No. Yeah. <laughs> they don't tell the truth. The Ukrainians yeah. don't tell the truth. There's no independent, well, almost no independent journalism uh, in the war because neither side will allow it. So it's kind of a black hole and it's very hard to figure out. I, mean, I spend a lot of time reading claims this happened or that happened, then trying to figure out, did this happen and did that happen or was it something else or did nothing happen? Even Prigozhin, the leader of the Wagner Group, actually took the news about the Ukrainian counteroffensive from the Ukrainians and reacted <laughs> to it as if it was intelligence. And what he got was wrong. So uh, it tells you a bunch of things. First of all, the Prigozhin's out of the loop and they're not feeding, they're not giving him any information. That is the Russian side. Uh, but it also means that uh, he relied on what the Ukrainians said, which is foolish. Uh, and, and I think that's, you know, we're in the same position in a way because we we see this stuff in the press, some of it quite hysterical, or some of it claiming things that never happened, like the shoot down of the super the hypersonic missile, the Kinsala missile, which now the Ukrainians are trying to prove happened. Um, but it didn't happen. I mean, this is the kind of thing you have to deal with. So as someone trying to be an analyst and trying to understand the dynamics of this conflict, it's quite complicated. Quite complicated. And uh, and it makes it hard to make a sound judgment because there's stuff you just don't know. Well, so in the broad picture, I know. I, I'm very comfortable with the broad picture. But the tactical picture, what's going on today and tomorrow and the day before or whatever, is very hard to be sure about. 
Well, you, you, you and I talked three months ago or whatever, we talked several times. We were very concerned about the nuclear trigger. Has really? that gotten less likely, more likely? Well, just when you think it's less likely, the British go and, and send storm shadow uh, cruise missiles to the Ukrainians, which have range that can hit Moscow. When did that happen? Just now. Oh, just wow. with the permission of the permission of the United States, with the agreement of the United States. Uh, and the Russians have reacted very severely to that, as I would expect they would. But it, it jacks up the threat again. What what purpose could these missiles serve if they're going to hit Russian cities, including Moscow? What was the drone about, Kremlin? The drone, I think, was a was a an attack launched inside Moscow, close to the Kremlin. Kremlin using they put together drones with uh, some Chinese electronics or whatever and some explosives not very much it was it was not designed to kill anybody I don't think because it wouldn't have it was designed to show they could do it mm. and, and you know actually since then Zelensky has really gone out on a limb about I might I want to read you something he said I made some 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 notes. He said it today. He said, for those in the Kremlin, it will end badly for them. I don't know how, he said, but I would like it to be quickly. And they will not die of natural causes. This is Zelensky. It's a, it's a threat to Putin and anybody else in the Russian leadership. Well, uh, based on... It's Based on Putin's track record, um, it looks like Zelensky just put a target in his forehead. I I find it almost unimaginable that he said yeah. uh, Putin would never say something like that. Well, um, you know, with Zelensky's, there's always he may not be a puppet, but he's certainly I don't think you know he, he's certainly an actor. He's certainly his, his theater is dramatic pronouncements, and this is the latest of a long long line um, yeah, but the russians won't see it that way i mean they'll see it as, as something quite real not just an act i mean they'll say okay this guy's working to get kill us maybe we should be working to kill him well i'd, I'd hoped in this conversation you'd give me a reasonable expectation that this is going to wrap up soon and we're all going to live happily ever after i don't no, think sorry we're i wish i could no, well, you can't. That's the reason I'm not talking with you. You're not here to cheer me up. You're here to tell me what's actually well, I happening. Just, I think it, it, there's always, in war, nothing certain, and there's always surprises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't say. I mean, but, I mean, Zelensky could be out of office tomorrow morning, and there could be some Ukrainian general who takes over and says, I want to speak to my friends in Moscow. I mean, you just can't predict where this is going to happen, what's going to happen here, because you'd you don't have that kind of knowledge or intelligence or crystal ball or whatever it is. Um, but if things stay the way they are, this will grind on and there'll be many more dead. And it's an awful thing. It doesn't, as I said at the beginning, it doesn't serve our national interest, not in the least. It certainly doesn't serve anybody else's. It doesn't serve Europe's interests. It could lead to a bigger war. And we're playing Russian roulette with a loaded gun. 
golf chambers loaded. Why do we want to do that? It, it doesn't well, make well, sense. To, to, to win in 2024 and to make it look like uh, Afghanistan wasn't a catastrophe and that, that Joe Biden can, uh, if he could take on corn pop, he can take on Putin. I mean, if that's what all... it, if that, yeah, I hear you. But if that's what it is, if, if you're right, and I suspect you are, it's a terrible thing that that one guy's election is what causes a war to continue, that kills all these young men on both sides, and civilians, lots of them. I mean, it, it's shameful. It is. Yeah. Like I, said, I am. I you know I will be accused of being pro-Russian for having said what I said today, I am not pro-Russian by any stretch of the imagination. I did, I worked very hard to defeat the Soviet Union during the time I was in government. I was very good at it, uh, I think, and, and it had some effect, but I certainly am not pro-Russian. I'm not pro-Ukrainian. I'm not anything but pro-American. And I don't think our national interest is being served. That's my opinion. And I agree. So let's check back in in the next month or two to see where we are. And uh, um, I'll be interested in your update and assessments from there. But uh, let, let's hope a lot of people listen to you and, and start putting a little pressure on the administration to rethink this, uh, this adventure, which has been another one, which has uh, harmed the United States, not helped it. So anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks Stephen Bryan, a, a senior fellow to Center for Security Policy and expert in all things national security and hope you enjoyed this episode of the bill walton show as you know you can find us on all the major podcast platforms and rumble and youtube and uh on substack and as well as on cpac now and monday nights and uh please send us your ideas about uh topics and guests you'd like to uh have us get into things with and uh, we'll uh, take it take it into the hopper and hopefully produce some good shows uh uh, that you want to see and hear. So anyway, thanks for joining. Uh, talk soon. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, We'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.